ASU, after the near-perfect first half and domination of Nevada on Wednesday night, they host, uh, actually they meet TCU tonight in Denver. At least it's uh, sort of in the time zone of ASU. I guess they would host that part. Uh, out to the KDUS hotline we go. We're now joined the sports center by Stephen Johnson, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. And uh, Stephen, good to have you on the show. I want to start with Jamie Dixon. Uh, he was the one-time uh, Northern Arizona coach. He's gone home to his alma mater. And really changed his style of play from the Big East grinded out approach to leading the nation in fast break points per game. The last time I saw it, uh, what, why the change in styles for Jamie Dixon? Well, I just think this this version of TCU's team is kind of led by their two guards, Mike Miles and Damian Ball. Ball's a Memphis transfer. Both of those guys do a really great job of pushing the tempo. I think this stylistically with this team. With all the athletic wings, they're not a team that has like a big man. They always want to throw it down to like DeJuan Blair, like Jamie had in the Big East. Yeah. So they have so much scoring, uh, so much scoring talent on the wings that it really is a uh, advantageous to the offense to push the tempo, get out in transition. They are still number one in the country in fast break points. I think right at 18 points a game. So honestly, when Damian Ball returned from his six game suspension at the beginning of the year, you could tell TCU started playing a lot faster on offense. So. I would say he kind of starts with his best players being Mike Miles and Damian Ball. Was that a difficult change for Dixon? I mean, not you know, a lot of coaches are pretty stubborn and don't change their style according to their talent, but obviously he's changed. Um, I, I have a, This is my first year on the beat. Um, it doesn't seem like it's been an uncomfortable process. I think they only averaged 10 fast break points a game last year, so they nearly doubled that production. So, if anything, I think that was something they wanted to focus on this summer after they made the tournament last year knowing that they brought 95 96% of their production back and you know the guys have more experience, more chemistry. So I think it's been kind of a natural evolution for them and it all starts with defense with Jamie Dixon. That hasn't changed from Big East. So they get their right. stops, they rebound, they like to push it back when they do normally they've been one of the best teams in the country at finish. Mike Miles, you mentioned, uh, back from injury. Obviously, he missed the five games. They've lost four of those games. But U of A fans remember him from last year's NCAA tournament. What should ASU fans look for tonight from Miles? Well, I wouldn't be surprised if this is one of those games where Miles kind of puts on one of those shows. He's a, no, he's, he's a pure scorer, 6'1", six, 6'2". Six, he's kind of built like a running back. He can get downhill, attack the rim. He's one of the team's best shooters. Great dribbler as well, too, so he can attack the mid-range. And when he's on the floor, he's just like a walking confidence boost for everybody else on the roster. You see other guys that really kind of struggled when he wasn't in the lineup or wasn't on the floor. They take their games up to another notch. So he's kind of the heart and soul of TCU. I think he's one of the best players in the NCAA tournament. And I think TCU is going to go as far as he can take them. Post-player, uh, post Eddie Lampkin, uh, he's left the team in recent days. What's up with that, and does that change uh, TCU's team, Eddie? Well, Eddie kind of Eddie was a fan favorite. He left the team and the program kind of under difficult circumstances. He stepped away from the team right before the Big 12 tournament. There are some accusations that kind of were unfounded of some uh, misconduct and some quote-unquote racial comments by Dixon alleged from Eddie and his mom. Um, like I said, those, those, uh, those accusations kind of turned up unsubstantiated. So he departed from the program, went into the transfer portal, it's a loss from the standpoint of, hey, he's a 7-footer, 6'11 type of guy, and, hey, there just aren't a lot of those guys that can play a lot of minutes. But overall, his effectiveness had kind of wanged over the season. He was dealing with the injury. There was questions about his work ethic, showing up at practice. So at times,
honestly, despite him being one of the fan favorites and kind of being a big name after his, after his performance last year against Arizona, Eddie was kind of the team's best, third best big man by the time he walked away from the team. So um, I think it's a loss, but I think it will be more so a loss if, you, if let's say TCU wins and they face Gonzaga. They'll miss him a lot more, I think, against a team with a Drew Timmy than maybe tonight against Arizona State. That makes sense. Uh, ASU, while they have some uh, length, they don't exactly have a post guy that they can throw it into and, and get a basket on a consistent basis. So I'm sure you watched ASU the other night, and maybe you've seen them a few other games this season. It's not along the line. So what do you think are some of the keys tonight for TCU against ASU? Well, TCU and Arizona State almost have an identical three-point percentage shooting. I mean, three-point percentage. But TCU over the last five games, I believe they've been knocking down 38% of their three-point attempts. Obviously, that would be one of the wow. best races in the nation. So, yeah. to me, it's can they keep that hot shooting up? Matter of fact, not hot shooting. Can they just be average? Average from the three-point line, average from the free throw line, say 35% from three, 75% from free throws. If they can do that, and I think if they're able to get out and run, one thing that happened against Texas was – they had so many fast-break opportunities, but the Longhorns, if they were blocking shots, they weren't finishing. So those are the three keys, I think, for TCU. Can you get out? Can you finish in fast-break? Can you keep up your hot shooting? And they just can't afford, I think, to just lead points at the free-throw line. They're a decent free-throw shooting team, but there have been a couple games this year, particularly the Baylor game at home, where they kind of let the team come back because they couldn't uh, handle their business at the free-throw line. Steven Johnson of the Four Worst Star Telegram, currently in the sports zone. I promise I'll get back to some more TCU and ASU here in a couple of minutes. But first up, I want to pick your brain about some of these other Big 12 teams. First up, you mentioned Texas a couple of moments ago. Why is Texas seemingly saved its best for last? And uh, Unless I missed it, why is Rodney Terry still just the interim coach here? Well, Texas, I, th- I think all year I thought they were the best team in the Big 12. I thought TCU at its peak might be the best, but I would probably, if, both, if, if every team was playing their best, I think it would be Texas 1, TCU 2, Kansas 3. The thing with Texas is they're so deep, and they're kind of getting a lot more production from the big man Dylan DeSue. He was a guy that kind of has killed TCU all three games. I know he bought out against Kansas with a Big 12 tournament MVP. But they already had this great backcourt with Marcus Carr, Jabari Rice, Tyree Hunter. And now they're getting a lot more production from their big man. So I, I just think they're a team that they can beat you in so many different ways on offense and defense. That's for Rodney Terry, man. I think it's Texas, man. So, you know, they I think there's, they feel like they have this obligation to go big game hunting. I'm not sure who they would necessarily get at this point. But I think right now Rodney Terry takes this team to Elite Eight. I know he probably wouldn't have been a candidate under normal circumstances. He wasn't great at UTEP and Fresno State. He wasn't terrible either. But I just think at some point, man, if he takes them on a run and they get to the Final Four, Elite Eight, I just find it hard. I don't see how Texas is going to be able to really sell to the fan base and really to the country that, hey, we found a better candidate for this job. I'm just not sure who is out there they could get right now that would satisfy their need for a big name while at the same time not kind of being a disservice to what Roger Terry did this year. And, of course, the Final Four is in Texas, in Houston, so you know, it's hard to imagine that there's added pressure for a Texas head coach in maybe any sport, but might there be because the Final Four is in Texas? Oh, I think I wouldn't say necessarily that for the Big 12, but if you want to think about a future Big 12 school in Houston, uh, Kelvin Sampson, I guess that there's pressure to get there will be for them because of the Final Four in their hometown. They've gotten close a couple years ago. The only unfortunate thing for them is you got to hope that the injuries to Marcus Sasser and then Jamel Sheed 
I think right. last night, aren't serious and don't potentially derail a dream season for them. So I don't think most of the Big 12 coaches feel pressure. If anything, a lot of those guys are just happy. They're, they've made it out of the gauntlet. They don't have to play any more Big 12 teams, at least for the first few rounds. Along those lines, you mentioned the gauntlet of the Big 12. You know, is there any concern amongst the, you think the conference or the conference coaches? Do you think that uh, the gauntlet and the, you know, all the grind of the Big 12 it might have a negative effect once we get to the NCAA tournament? Uh, no, I think most coaches that I've talked to feel like it's going to be a strength. It's going to be an advantage. TCU, I think, kind of got worn down during the Big 12. Well, they had so many injuries, man. I think they had the fourth most starting lineups in the country this year because they just had so many guys in and out of the lineup. Mike Miles, Damian Ball, Lampkin, uh, Emmanuel Miller missed some time this year. Mm-hmm. And now TCU is at a point where they're the healthiest they've been since early January when they got out to that 16-4 start before Mike got hurt. So I think most coaches are kind of seen as an advantage going through a league where there were no easy games. Oklahoma was the worst team in the league, but even they beat TCU at home, blew out Alabama at home. So now I think, like I said, the coaches are kind of relieved to be out of that grind and kind of play some other teams that won't be won't grind them down so much. Because a lot of those Big Twelve games were wars, man. Okay, so you mentioned Kansas. You know, no big self at least for today and maybe the next uh, for the weekend. Uh, hopefully uh, he'll be back. Hopefully they advance and he's back. How does not to state the obvious here, ask the obvious, but how does his absence change things for KU? So far, I wouldn't say I've noticed much of a difference. Kansas has been the strange team, man. I think they have the highest score out of all the teams in the Big 12. Just that kind of that institutional knowledge of winning, I think, has really kept them in a lot of games. But at the same time, they've been blown out a couple of times. TCU smoked them in Lawrence. Texas smoked them in the Big 12 championship game. And it's not like your typical Kansas teams where they have the bruising big man and all this talent, they're kind of a two-man team with a bunch of role players. You know, they had two really good players. Jalen Wilson and Grady Dick are probably going to be first-round picks. But outside of that, there's some limitations with the roster. So I think Bill not possibly being there for the Arkansas game. I think that's going to be a very dangerous game for Kansas. I could definitely see Arkansas coming away with the win. I'm interested to see what the line is. Because if you're the Razorbacks, you might go into that game thinking you have more talent than the Jayhawks. And if Bill Self isn't coaching, I think Kansas could be on upset alert uh, tomorrow. Baylor has stumbled to the finish line. Why have they stumbled stumbled to the finish line? Do you think their defense, man? They can, you know, they kind of live and die by the three, but their defense has not been up to probably the Baylor standard this year. Uh, I forgot where exactly they rank, but I want to say they're outside the top 100 in defensive efficiency, and they're a smaller team as well, too. You know, they rely a lot on their guards, and they're all six two, six one, six four. So when those guys are knocking down three-pointers, Baylor is hard to beat. But when they're not falling, they're not the biggest team. They don't defend great. So, you know, when that happens, man, you know, you can become a very beatable team. So I think that's why Baylor's kind of been the one of the more popular teams on upset alert. I don't know if they'll fall today, but I don't expect Baylor to go far just because, like I said, they're a smaller team that struggles to defend. Talking with Steven Johnson, the Fort Worth Star Telegram. Kansas State, I want to make sure I ask you about them. Jerome Tang uh, has obviously done a terrific job, and they're tremendously improved. What are you looking forward to today from K-State and uh, moving on with them? I think K-State should roll today. Um, this thing, Montana State seems like one of those matchups where their athleticism. Marquise Noel uh, was the first team all Big 12 guard at 5'8", 5'9". He's, he'll probably be – I think he'll be one of the more entertaining players. Um in a tournament as well, too, and Keontae Johnson might be the best story. 
we know what happened to him a couple years ago when he collapsed at Florida. Now two years later, he's first team all Big 12. But their team, with their defense and their athleticism, I think they're going to jump on Montana State early and kind of roll in that one. I kind of have questions about how far they can go as well, too. They weren't the same team away from Manhattan as they were when they played home. So I'm curious to see how they do on a neutral site. If I remember right, they'll play the winner of Kentucky and Providence. Um, I think that game is going to be win or whoever it is. TCU beat Providence. Kentucky has shown some weaknesses. So Kansas State, I think, has ability to make it to the Sweet 16. But to me, that might be their ceiling depending on their matchups, though, in my opinion. All right, back to TCU and ASU. Uh, Who wins tonight? I like TCU to win. I think it will be a fairly close game. Uh, A lot of the numbers, when you look at them, they're they're very similar to rebounding numbers. I think TCU is a little bit better offensively. They both kind of struggle to shoot from the three-point line. So I think the team that has a better night from the three-point line will probably come out on top. I just like how TCU has been playing. I think they've been kind of itching to get back on the floor because they really felt like they gave that game away to Texas. They had this stretch. In that final four or five minutes where it was 60-56, to 56, and they just could not get over the hill, man. So I think they're going to come out engaged. I think Mike Miles is going to kind of put on, have a pretty good game. So I have TCU winning 75-7. ASU playing Wednesday night in Dayton and then traveling to Denver to play this game tonight against TCU. Do you think that plays a role tonight? It can. I think, you know, it probably depends on the coach you ask. You know, some will say, hey, you know, we, we won that game earlier this week. We're coming in with momentum. Other people will tell you that, hey, TCU's a, TCU's a lot more well-rested, didn't have to do all that traveling. So it'll be interesting, man. But I think if, if this is one of those games where we see TCU run off a 30-fast break point with the altitude and the rest, I think it can be a factor. Uh, Jamie Dixon said he, wouldn't, you know, he wasn't going to go into the uh, locker room and say, hey, these guys just got off the plane a couple hours ago, so we're going <laughs> to push it. No, TCU's going to do what they do. And I think if – Arizona State doesn't have the conditioning or they haven't been able to get their uh, get their rest, then, yeah, it could be a situation where that catches up to them and TCU kind of able, is able to make this an even wider margin than I think. Okay, last up, does TCU cover the five and a half? Man, college spreads. I hate college spreads, man. Kids, <laughs> these are the young kids we're dealing with, man. You know, a team could be up eight and they just give up a silly wide open three. I'll take TCU to know what I'm going to take Arizona State to cover just in case there's a late free throw, uh, boneheaded turnover when TCU is trying to run out the clock. I'll take Arizona State to cover just to be safe. Steven, excellent stuff. We really appreciate it. Have fun. Thank you very much. Yes, sir. Thank you all. Steven Johnson of the Fort Worth Star Telegram. That was tremendous info. 